0: back to the podcast, Coaches Rising podcast. This is episode number 58 and I hope you are doing well and thanks for tuning in. I'm Joel and in this podcast I'm going to be speaking with Jennifer Cohen who is a a master somatic coach. We're talking to her about the work she's doing in these times so we'll explore how she helps her clients shift away from stress to reorient back towards possibility and the role of our bodies in making that kind of shift and we'll talk about the kind of larger potential for deeper transformation to occur in these disruptive times. So Jennifer has been coaching for over 25 years and she has clients that have included Pfizer, Boston Consulting Group, Hewlett-Packard, Microsoft, MIT, Nike. She has a niche in coaching world-class Academians from institutions such as Simmons and Harvard Business School and she's also served as the Director of Coaching Education for Mobius Executive Leadership. She's the author also with Gina LaRoche of The Seven Laws of Enough. So before we dive in you can find out more about what we do Coaches Rising at coachesrising.com including more of the podcasts there coachesrising.com forward slash podcasts. I'd be very grateful if you would Share this podcast. I'd love as many coaches to know about it as possible. Or you could leave a review on iTunes or wherever else we can do that. And here is Jennifer Cohen.
1: It's a very surreal, very surreal moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something very potent in that. In, the, in the, I don't know what the, the word would be like, the surreality of the moment. <laughs> in that, there's something very potent in, in it. I think even though it's
2: very, um, yeah, kind of discombobulating as well.
1: Yeah. We're in a profound disorientation, right? I mean, it's just, we're just profoundly disoriented and, um, there is opportunity in it. I don't know how much collectively the world will take the opportunity. I, I, I'm not a I'm not a new age optimist about it. I have to say. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of grasping for the old, and I think there's going to be a lot of ingenuity and creativity and letting go and new. I think I think it's all going to happen. Um, yeah. But I don't think the world is going to learn the big the big lesson. Right. I, I, no. I, it doesn't seem like that to me. But yeah. I don't know. I'm happy to be proven wrong, well, turning into an old cynic or something.
0: Well, I think that... Um, I don't think it's cynicism. I think it's realistic to say that you know the uh, um an unfounded optimism is um i would say is, you'd be living in denial
1: yeah that's how it feels to me you know so there seem to be two i guess you know like with everything there are two two poles and then some 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 middle path and i, I feel like i'm in the middle the two poles being you know this is it doom gloom the end of time which whatever we've lived through a few ends of time before so that seems not quite likely and then and then the like oh my god it's the age of aquarius right like all things will be transformed and we're going to finally wake up and live in harmony with all beings and creatures i don't think i don't think we're going there right now um so, I think there'll be some people who make big lifestyle changes, even organizations who really change the way they're doing business. I think some people will wake up, some communities will wake up, but I think they're I think people are going to get back on airplanes as fast as they possibly can
0: hmm. yeah, 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 and um my sense is this you know we're talking actually the next decade, which, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to sound like a downer. Um,
1: No, I said the same thing. Yeah. I did. I said, I think that this is is the decade of tumult. I think this is incident number one, and there'll be some transformation and some retreat back, and then we're going to have the next thing, and the same Mm. thing will happen, and we're going to have the next thing. And I think there's going to be a bunch of next things because we aren't going to learn the big lesson. And... The earth is done with us, I think, in terms of our abuse. So Mm. uh, I don't know what will happen next.
0: So we're going to cover a lot of different things today. I'm excited by our conversation. And I think what I'd just love to start by asking you is, you know, you've been coaching a long time now. And you, well, <laughs> you're really old and uh, <laughs> round the block. No. Uh, but yeah. no, I see it, but it's an incredible amount of experience and you work with high level leaders. And I'm just curious, what's the work you're doing with people
2: at the moment, you know, as, as this virus is having such an impact in the world?
1: I think... There are two threads with clients, right? Write this in this moment. One thread is coming out of shock. There, there's a in, a, in a moment like this where we're so disoriented, it's such a discontinuous moment, right? There's no, there's no continuity from life before to what life has suddenly become. Um, there's a way that people's systems go into shock. And if you have any kind of previous history with shock and trauma, it can be a one-two punch. So I I, I actually think a lot of our, my clients are in shock. And, and yet they're incredibly high-performing people. So they're in shock and they're moving really quickly at the same time. So uh, some of the conversations in the last couple of weeks have been Um, for people to actually become aware that they're in shock and that they're in a reactive state, even though they're moving forward very quickly and making huge decisions very quickly, including layoffs, I mean, all kinds of decisions. Uh, And then the second thread, which it's almost a little too soon to be in, but, but I'm pointing them there, is there is the possibility for something new to now happen in a way that was really it is really different from the possibility of something new always being available? This is this is this is the possibility of something new being available on steroids a little bit. So those, and then there's a a, a third thread, I guess you could say, which is really just the thought partnership right now, actually of scenario planning. I need to have this conversation that we need to lay off this group of people. And we need to think about both the short term, the the most immediate term and the uh, medium term and somehow lift our heads to think about what the world's going to be like 18 months from now. Mm. That's a lot to have to attend to all at once. So those seem to be the three buckets of things I'm doing right this moment.
2: Let's
0: just take each of those and and, and unpack them a bit more. Um, So you said like that people are in shock and um, how do you
2: recognize when somebody's in shock?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Let's see if I can describe it. I mean, it really is a a combination for me of something energetic and something somatic and something in language, all all three. So the somatic part is often most obviously visible in the breath or lack thereof. Um, The energetic part is a um how do i describe it i'm not asked to describe it a lot it's fascinating there's a, there's a there's a frozenness and a freneticness that's often there simultaneously in shock so there's speed on top of a stillness that's not stillness like zen a zen kind of stillness it's a um It's a frozen stillness. And there's a, um, I get a felt sense in my own soma. uh, And often a question arises, where are you? Where are you? You're not, where are you? Mm. And those are all indications to me that someone's doing something other than being really available and present to the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you get a sense, don't you? It's like sometimes it's even hard to put into words, but you can just sense somebody's not here in the yeah. way they normally are. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I just remembering, I went to the, this was like a week ago or something and I, I did some, two things. So I was listening to, um, Rebel Wisdom, Daniel Schmachtenberger's like scenario, um, kind of situation Uh, and um, he was explaining all the different scenarios that could play out in the world and I was just queuing to go to the supermarket for the first time since the lockdown and um, they weren't opening at the right time they delayed the opening and then suddenly there was this big group of people and nobody knew where to stand you know because we were all like trying to and then when the supermarket opened some people tried to push in and you know, so I was feeling this deep anxiety of all these potential ways that things can unfold in a pretty catastrophic way. Whilst in, you know standing in this, and I could feel my kind of animal body like wanting, like oh, I've got to get in that supermarket because everyone's, and it was just um, incredibly uncomfortable. When I came back, I, you know, my partner Ellen was like, "Whoa," because I was like running fast you know I was like I was feeling fear and I was I mean I can feel it now when I talk about it talking fast but that was in a way to not feel
2: this deep shock of that experience
1: yeah it you know when a trauma is happening for the most part there is too much stimulation. There's too much happening both somatically and emotionally, psychologically to metabolize at the time that it's happening. That's why it lives on in us is it's, it's not. And, and you just gave a great description of that. There was so much you were actually attending to your own safety, other people, Whatever reactivation was happening, your sorrow about what on earth are we doing, your disorientation—I mean, there are layer after layer of thing actually happening—and you've got to make decisions in the moment really quickly about whether you're going to, where you're going to stand in the line and where, who's going to knock you over to get into the supermarket, and all that—all of that's happening. It's literally too much for the human system to um, parse and process all at the same time. So we go into our conditioned pattern. We go into some kind of state so that we can keep moving, which is this incredibly adaptive coping mechanism that we all human beings have. um, And it gets us in trouble later.
0: Hmm. How do you help your clients then, you know, if you, if you see that they're in shock in some way, in the way you've described,
2: what do you do?
1: Well, I don't have a formula, which is a bummer for conversations like this, I guess.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to stay away from formulas. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: know you do. Um, You know, so, you know, I hate the answer. It depends, but it depends. So it depends on how much, transformation the person has under their belt, how much they know about themselves, how much they've been with themselves. So a client who's newer to transformational work has done less of it. I might enter in a different way than someone who's like you or me who, you know, I might just say, okay, have you noticed that you're in shock? You know, I might just literally say that. It looks to me like you're in your conditioning in this moment. Now, but I don't necessarily talk that way to a client. So I I might say something really simple like, you seem to be talking really quickly. Have you noticed that? That your speech is sped up. That might be just the place I start. So I usually start with an observation, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Your speech is faster. Or if we're, if we're zooming, I mean, I'm not in person with anybody right now. So if we're zooming, I might say your chest looks really still. I haven't noticed you take a deep breath in this whole conversation. So I just start with something really simple and see what they do with it. And usually as you well know, coaching is, you know, I hand you something, you hand me something back yeah. So once you hand me something back, then I make my next move.
0: Right, right. And there's something, I think, very powerful about the relational side of bringing someone out of that kind of shock. You know, that, that, it, that they could do it by themselves, but it's very powerful to do it in connection with a coach. Yeah, Or maybe you disagree.
1: I don't know. It's a fascinating question. Yeah, I mean, I think we can. So here's what I always say relative to shock, trauma. The conditions in which those phenomena thrive include isolation. You know, shock and trauma and violence, they thrive in isolation in separateness. And so what, what allows for the unwinding of all that usually includes connection. If you've done a tremendous amount of psychological and spiritual work, I think you can walk yourself back home. If you, if you know a home other than the shock and the trauma and you have a lot of pathways and a lot of experience, I think in a moment like this, someone can take themselves to their yoga mat or, their breath work or their floor or their altar and or their God and have a good cry and find their own melting back to themselves. Um, I, I think more often it happens in relation to another being, that shared nervous system that we create when we, are together. And we, you and I create a shared nervous system too. We don't have to be physically co-located to start to create a nervous system that's um, capable of regulating and revising the, the other being's system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it happens most often that way for most of us, Mm -hmm. you know, even, I don't want to say even me, even me who's been doing this for 30 years, I could tell that I was in some kind of my own um reactivation. It was this was like five days ago or something. I'm like, something's like I'm not really here. I could feel the patterning, but I couldn't really. And uh I got on the phone with a colleague and a friend and I said, you know, so I I just started blathering and within 20 minutes we had the whole thing and I was like, oh, okay, I feel so much, but, but it was still in the, in the conversation with her love and her knowing of me and my history and it didn't take long, but it still took, I I knew something was happening, but I couldn't quite walk myself out of myself without Mm -hmm. her accompaniment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do think this is one of the ways, you know, now if there was ever a time for coaches to be, you know, coming alive and supporting people, this is the time, you know, when all our training and our practice counts. And I wonder if you could say something about, because we know we're using this word trauma and there's different ways of thinking about it, I think. But I think some people listening might be like, you know, Trauma and coaching—that's um, they don't go together. You know, I'm I'm not trained to work with trauma, and and, and I think that's wise to acknowledge that. But I think we're also we could look at it in different ways. I think we're talking about it in a in a different way here, aren't we? Then,
1: yeah. You know. I mean, I think there's. Well, you you know this, and I'd say this to any coach I was supervising or training, which is you as a coach, you listener, ha- have to understand your own limits. That's essential to ethical practice, right? You have to know where you begin and end and where you um, can acknowledge something, but not enter the territory with your client. And this is no exception. This moment is no exception. And I think- especially coaches doing deeper work, transformational work, people who are um, in a transformational coaching space are have some kind of, you know, there's words now like trauma-informed coaching. And um, we, we have to understand some basic aspects of, what happens to a human being when they're confronted with an untenable situation, Mm. Uh, an unintegratable situation, a violent situation, a shocking situation. Um, And it would be to every coach's benefit, I think, to be listening to Bessel van der Kolk or the the next person you're interviewing or all of the people who, who understand trauma deeply so that you as a coach have some sense of the way this is hitting people's systems and potentially connecting to earlier trauma. It doesn't mean you're the person who's going to do the early trauma work. You're not. But you you do have something. There's something about just the power of naming. We know this as coaches, the power of naming something and to say this is a time where those kinds of historical records might be uh, tapped. And even if your historical record isn't being tapped, uh, we are collectively in a moment of profound disorientation, profound uncertainty and unpredictability, which the nervous system registers as danger. And for you to understand that you're coaching both a human spirit and a human nervous system is really, really important especially in, I mean, I think it's important all the time. I think mean, it's ridiculous to not understand that, but, um, but it's really critical right now because you're going to try to coach on top of what's actually happening in the nervous system, which is why I think it's important to know all the time because that's what we're doing even in the best of times is trying to coach on top of um, the way this entire system is organized and the system will win
0: yeah these millions of years of biological evolution, which is interesting because I've heard people like Thomas Hubel say whilst um you know we we can um experience this collective trauma or the the, the trauma that we're you know each in, as individuals feeling, and we also have within our nervous system the that our ancestors have overcome That's shock true. events okay. as well, so that resilience is also. And you've already named this in a way that adaptability is also embedded within our nervous system.
1: Yeah, they're running, they're running, they're running rivers side by side, aren't they? And 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 intermingling. Absolutely, that's there too. The resilience, the the resistance, the resilience, the overcoming is also within us, and that's what people. uh, That's why we're still here, really. Yeah.
2: I'm very
0: um, we actually added a whole trauma sensitive aspect to the poet training. We've got the power of embodied transformation with Richard fuzzy Heckler. I know you trained with, with people like Bessel van der Kolk and um, Peter Levine. And we, that was purely by accident. Um, We we just thought, Oh, we have to bring this to our community. And then this whole thing blew up and now we're like, wow. I mean, what a, how lucky are we to be able to provide these resources in these times? Cause like you said, it's always happening, but right now I think we just, you can't deny it. So it's um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it really is happening. I mean, really at some level, you know, you know that phrase, right? Everything's changed and nothing's changed at some level. There's just been this unbelievable amplification of what was already Happening, And what was already true about what, what was needed on the planet, our waking up, our reorientation, our, our sensitivity to the unsustainable nature of the way that we're living, you know, on and on and on it goes. The, those aren't new conversations for some of us anyway. Um, but the whole thing is so 3D or 4D in this moment. It's so unmissable. You know, I was on a call yesterday. There were literally people from all over the world. There was somebody from India, and um, you know, somebody from New Zealand, and somebody from you know, people literally all over the globe. And everybody's in their house. Every single person on that call. There are hundreds of people on this call. Every single person on that call was all of a sudden in the same story. Living in a shared and collective story simultaneously—that's like, wild.
2: Yeah, well, it, it is, and I think
0: it's a yeah um, to speak about the the potential in these times as well. And I know we both remarked that this it, it could go either way for me, and I feel like it—it's it, a decade-long adventure. I'll put that word adventure on it (laughs) rather than, but um, you know, like for instance, um, you know, we've we've named this a lot, but I've never felt, you know, as well as this kind of despair and grieving, I've I've been grieving, um, which has been very painful. And at the same time, I've never felt this sort of sense of us coming together as a collective, the possible for collective action that just seemed impossible before, you know, that suddenly th- decisions are being made uh, that, that, and then millions and millions of people are all going along with it. And, and I'm like, okay, so under these circumstances, new things become possible and that could lead us in a good direction.
1: Yeah, I think that goes back to your first question that you asked me and you know, how am I working with people? And I work with leaders who have big positions some, some of the time, often. And the, the, so y- you probably know this, right? But the, the biology that we are craves homeostasis. That's the, that's the term, stability. We like stability. And the organism has two choices when stability is disrupted. It can go back to its old coherence Or it can actually move towards something new. And part of the, a huge part of the opportunity of coaching is to stay with someone in that space between the old homeostasis to actually accompany them to something new. And, And I can notice in my clients, The urge, and not just my clients, but uh, all of us, the urge to retreat to the old homeostasis. Like when things get back to normal, how many times in the last three weeks has anybody heard that phrase? When things get back to normal, when we get back to business as usual, And the opportunity really is to deepen our capacity to stay in this liminal, this in-between space long enough to co-create something new. And I think that remains an open question, as I think you do too. It remains an open question how much of that will happen. Will some of it happen? Absolutely. It already is. People are crazy creative and inventive right now. So new things are already happening. The question is, how big will those be? How societal versus incidental or relational or interpersonal or even intrapsychic, and how uh, how much will go back to the old? And I, we don't know yet.
2: Do Do you think coaches have a kind of
0: provocative role to play in these times in that way?
1: Such a good question. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm a fan of paradox. I think you probably are too. I think that we, you know, one of our roles is to, is to be profoundly neutral, right? And I also think neutrality is a fantasy. Um. it It's not an energetic fantasy we can become the 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 neutral pole, the positive pole the negative we we can become neutral but we are not empty of our all of our preferences and you know we are also co shaping what is in the space and and to pretend that we're not. Um, so I think the paradox for me as a coach is this profound neutrality in the moment. And also what does it mean to stand for something? What does it mean to be a stand for humanity in this moment, for our clients in this moment, this, this stand for something to turn for something new to happen? I, 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 I don't, know the answer. I think you could get a crowd of coaches who would say our only job is neutrality. Um, I don't don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think that I think think we're foolish if we think we don't point our clients in a direction. We do. Yeah. And I think the trick is to be really uh, overt about that. And and I'll share my bias with a client about any one of a number of things. This is my orientation. You don't have to claim it. You don't have to take it. But I do want to say this is where I'm standing about this.
2: Yeah,
0: I, I think that's what disarms it from becoming a kind of um, activism, you know, a, a disowned activism that you have on your client. So, you know, if you're able to say, look, you know, my, I have a bias. Like I, I see ways we could live in relationship with one another and the, and the planet. And I think we should go there, you know, and then you own it, you put it on the table and the client, you know, can look at it and they're, they're free to choose. Yeah. And, uh, other, otherwise it goes under the table, I think. Yeah. And, then, and I think the, the I like what you say about neutrality. I think that's where my own practice has been so important to, to kind of do deep presence work where I wake up out of my parts or my, you know, my smallest self, whatever we want to call it. And that, that, that bigger part of me is able to be with my clients in a very unconditional way or increasingly. So let me say that. Yeah. Increasingly so And that's incredibly transformational. Yes. As you know, something we can often miss, but that's profoundly transformational. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I- speaking of being overt about bias, biases, you know, J- Jack Cornfield. I mean, this is, this is through the, this is really through the Buddhist Theravada Buddhist lineage. So he, he's just the speaker of it that I've uh, heard most frequently, but something he used to always say was, you know, if we were truly, truly, truly connected to our heart, if we were truly in here, all the way in here, we would never harm another human being or any any. We would never harm anything. We truly understood. We truly saw clearly. We would never cause harm. And I have to think there's there's an ethic inherent in coming home that starts to be activated. So if we trust that premise, if, if we buy that, which we might not, but if we do, or the trust of it, the premise of of home. That, 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 that as we come home, there's an ethic here that as the heart awakens, the, the clarity that causing harm is it's not such a good idea. That clarity, if we buy that that happens naturally as we awaken, then if we continue to awaken and we become a space in which others awaken, they will find an ethical and right alignment with which to take action in their context. And then it becomes less, I love what you said about underground activism. It comes, becomes less about us pushing our particular agenda that's idea driven about Some organization should look a certain way or take on a certain charge as opposed to really inviting this person so deeply home. And if we trust that home has an ethic in it, then we can trust that as they enter home, they will find an ethical expression for what they're charged with in their organizational context or whatever context they're in, community context.
0: Do you think that these times are a kind of um, pressure cooker for that kind of move? You know, let me just say, because of the uncertainty and rapid change, it's like it's highlighting that part of me which is timeless, spacious, and still. And, you know, it seems that um, that, that these are soul-making times almost. You know, like I noticed in myself and in my friends, it's like, we feel actually more alive right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like the habituation of that, that homeostasis you talked about. It's like, it's just been shattered. And actually a lot of us are like, okay, rubbing our hands together saying, where can I serve? And so I wonder if you feel these times are, you know, um, drawing people home into that place of deeper ethics of serving. Do you see that? Well, I
1: think people who are oriented that way will be more deeply oriented that way. You know, I also was speaking with a colleague yesterday, Alexander Grashaw, and, you know, the rise in mental health issues and the rise in domestic violence and the rise in child abuse right now, you know, those things are also through the roof. So I you know we live yeah, we live in right. we live on the plane of polarities right so if you're drawn to this kind of the kind of conversation we're already in you and I the conversation we're having if you're already drawn to transformation if you're already drawn then this really does look like a huge opportunity this looks like soul making. This looks like okay. I can't do any of my habits anyway, so I'm going to create myself anew. But I also think um, it's a good time for cookies and alcohol for a lot of other people. Mm. And um, what because we're they're coping.
0: Time- yeah, that's how they cope. Yeah, yeah.
1: So if you're not, you know, I think it can go either way. Is the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have resources and you don't have ample support and you don't don't, 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 you're more likely to reach for the cookies and the alcohol and the TV remote than you are for how can I recreate myself in this moment?
0: Yeah. And I I think, um, you know, we both mentioned rebel wisdom and I saw Jordan Hall speaking and, you know, he, I think it just speaks into what you you're saying that if you are if you are resourced in these times, not not everybody is. That's what we're just saying, yeah. For some people, their income has just been shattered, and uh, you know, they're, they're, yeah, they're thrust into this these very difficult situations. So not everybody's resourced, but some people are, and I think you know I feel lucky to be in that place, and therefore, then it brings out the deeper this deeper kind of stepping into. How can I serve? Because it cuts away all the excuses or the or the, the ways that I was habituated in my life before. That's all dropped away somewhat. And it seems like there's more clarity to act. I appreciate you naming the I can get on a bit of um, I mean, idealistic
2: me side too. of things.
1: So. I, I, yeah, me too. It, and I and, and I think it's, you know, God, I don't want to rob myself of the hope, and I don't want to rob you of the hope. You know, Lynn Twist always has this, or Meg Wheatley, I can't remember who said it, but grounded optimism. And I like that. It's sort of like our term, uh, sustainable abundance. I, I think grounded and optimism go well together, because optimism without the ground starts to become... Uh, an idealism that's, that's really not connected to reality and grounded without optimism can, can lead us a little bit to, uh, uh, to spiral down, you know, too, too much ground and not enough air, you know, we want that balance. And so I like those two words together. There's a ton of possibility right now. There's also, um, a ton of suffering right now. And, uh,
2: yeah. And you,
0: you said at the beginning, like there is three ways, I think you said you were supporting clients, but the second one was like this change, the potential for change. And how are you supporting your clients in that? And, you know, with that kind of inquiry at the moment, and again, there's probably no cookie cutter way in, but I'm just
2: curious if you could speak about that.
1: I'm thinking of one powerful session I had last week in particular. And it was both, it actually contained all three elements that, that I mentioned. So there was the crying, that was the getting out of shock, like the, uh, the unbelievably frenetic pace that this person's organization is running at to try to attend to this moment and her role in all of that. So really seeing her spin and calling her back. And in this particular case, with this particular person, she has a role that's actually about sustainability in the organization, in this huge global organization. So she's already a stand. You know, this goes back to this other thing you and I were talking about, like, do you stay neutral or do you have... So she already has a stand about um, where the world ought to go. So I don't have to be an undercover activist in that moment. I can just remind her about her stand for life. So the, the way it looked to, to return her to possibility or to return her past the next two months of scenario planning and moving these people and laying these people off and the deep contraction that this company is in was to remind her of what she already knows, what she's already standing for the depth and breadth of what her vision actually is for this organization and for the world and how we operate with one another. And that in In the returning her to herself, I I didn't return her to herself. I just created a space where she could remember how to return to herself. It was like, you know, she got taller. She got, she got wider. She uh, started to reconnect with what she wanted to say, you know, where her voice was. And who she needed to say it to, and it's a little too soon where they are as an organization to do big long term. We're just not, you know, it's still too much crisis. But it returned her enough so that her long term vision was is present in the conversation, even though what they're doing is staring at the road two feet in front of them instead of a hundred feet in front of them right now. So it returned her to, to holding that bigger vision, even in short-term conversation. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like, I'm curious what you think about this. It sounds like that she was able to connect to her you know, sense of agency, a sense of agency, and um, therefore oh, feeling- pretty. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Sovereignty (laughs) Sovereignty. and um, to to feel empowered. Yeah. So that's, I think, one thing that can help us from well, this is what I wanted to check that that for some people, these will be traumatic times. So it will be trauma creating times. And for others, uh, they're, they're not. You know, and perhaps this is one of the ingredients that, that makes a difference, you know, that we can connect to what do we want to say or do, what's that agency or sovereignty, and, and, and then that changes our, our, our body and our, um, our experience of ourselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not everybody is going to experience this as a trauma. That's absolutely true, and I think it's worth saying because trauma, 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 trauma informed this trauma. Not, not, and collectively, and I think Thomas would speak really beautifully to this. You already mentioned Thomas Hubel. Thomas would speak really beautifully to this. There is a collective uh, disruption that we really are in and some nervous systems and spirits will, will experience this on the suffering side. I mean, it's really what you and I've been saying and some will experience it on the uh, opportunity and soul growing to use your term, which I like growing side. And some will experience some of both. You know, I had a, a mild trauma reactivation. So I've had a little bit of that and I wouldn't, and I would say I'm, chronically irritated in a sense, you know, <laughs> like every time I see my, my spouse or my child, I'm like, Oh, it's you again. Ah, oh. you know, like there's this low level irritation. That's not trauma. That's just this like the confinement does something to, to the person. Right. So um, there's all that happening. And the discomfort, you know, it's, I talked to another colleague yesterday. He's like, I'm so uncomfortable all the time. I'm like, yeah, I got that. I got that. This is uncomfortable. This is not comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're not paying attention. Yeah. And for some people, they're home. They're not traveling. They've been desperate for this moment for so long. And they're actually feeling themselves or breathing or seeing their children or, and there is, there are huge gifts to be had in all of that. Hmm. So I just, you know, it's all happening the same way it was all already happening anyway. The whole range of human experience is going to continue to happen.
0: I mean, most people I've spoken to have said, uh, this is tough, but yeah, some part of me really likes it yeah so um, and i um I know you talk about stories um, in your book, and i I thought that was really powerful because we 're talking about embodiment and the body being a really powerful kind of um, what 's the word like um, support or resource, but um, I think the stories we live inside of can also be incredibly important in these times as well and Um, you know, like our own kind of myth, even like what's our, what's the myth, our self myth that we live inside of. And, um, yeah, I don't know where my question is in this, but I wonder if I could just volley that back to you and see if it (laughs) sparks sparks something inside of
1: you. Well, whenever, whenever we talk about law, number one stories matter, um, I always think of Brian Schwimm and this movie that I saw, I think the movie's called Planetary and he just beautifully outlines, you know, the story that we tell is collectively, the story that we tell is the context that we're in. It's the world. It's the way we shape the world. If we believe that we're separate from nature, we shape one. If we tell that story, man is the king of all the creatures. That's a story it literally, there is this unbelievable cascading effect. It creates everything. If we believe that the stars are our cousins and the rivers are our brothers, which many, many indigenous people believe, it has a cascading effect in terms of the way we create our culture and our society. The story is really everything. It's the container. <clears throat> in which the body is shaped in which the narrative comes to life so stories are the the scaffolding they're the architecture they're the they're the house that we live in and we have been telling some beautiful stories as a world. And we've been telling some pretty distorted, delusional, um, extremely destructive stories. And they're pretty much coming home to roost as far as I can tell.
2: Hmm.
1: And that's part of this moment is we're at the, I don't want to say the final expression, but we're in a very mature expression of some of those Destructive stories,
0: yeah, like late-stage capitalist kind of stories, which, yeah, seem definitely outdated now.
2: And yeah,
0: um, you know that, that I think again we <clears throat> we could say that these stories are are being surfaced or we're, are being shown to us right now. Um, in a way that I think is different before that, that it feels like perhaps there is a the potential for us to upgrade or evolve our individual stories and our collective stories. You know, there's something I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but you, I'd love the way you said surreal things are surreal. And, and I don't know what the dictionary definition of surreal is, but, either, but... It, it does um, speak to me to that in between place that the liminal space that you spoke about which is both disorienting but also incredibly potent and that you know we might now be able to tell ourselves different stories like let me give you an example um i watched a bob marley documentary the other day i mean i love bob marley growing up and i haven't listened to his music in like 15 years mm-hmm I was moved to tears in this documentary and I still can't tell you exactly why, you know, um, it, but it was something palpable coming through his life and I can feel it now. It makes me emotional and, um, his music and it, it lit lit a fire in my heart, you know, And, 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 and I'm sat with that now still. And I don't, you know, it's that liminal space, you know, like I could say, oh, I think it's because, you know, for instance, Zimbabwe couldn't afford to bring him over when he wrote the um, liberation song for them. So he paid for all the equipment to go out there, you know, but it's not just that. It's like the, anyway, I'm trying to say it's like this liminal space is something that um, I think is, is, is here right now, collectively and individually, and that we can open to these kinds of experiences like this Bob Marley documentary. It's, it's coming in through me, whatever that, the message was from that documentary is, is coming through and starting to land inside my nervous system in my heart. And yeah, I guess this is just a. I I wanna invite people into a relationship with their own myth, with this, the, the livingness of the potential to evolve our myths right now as well, not as an intellectual endeavor, but as a
2: whole being experience.
1: Yeah. You're here. I, I drink that. I'll toast to that. I, yeah. A, <clears throat> you know, I hate to, to say things that are so, grandiose but it does seem like if we don't upgrade our mythology and we don't shift the stories we're in for a lot more trouble i'll say it at least that way you know i, I don't know if i'd go so grandiose to say you know it's the end of the human Experiments, you know, Bill McKibben might say that. I just recently read his book Falter. I don't know if you've read his book Falter. You know, is this the end of the human game? And maybe it is. I don't know. Um, the Earth's been here for, you know, many species have come and gone. We might be one of them. But regardless, because the truth is, nobody knows whether we're going to make it or not, it is a good time to take a code hard look at the collective trance uh, that we are in.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm curious um, how you
0: feel you're being invited to evolve in these times. I'm not quite sure if that's exactly the right question I'm mm-hmm. getting at, but, you know,
2: it's more like, yeah, what, what's... What's growing in you? <clears throat>
1: I think it, it's a continuation of what was already growing in me. I think my my biggest fascination these days is really um, lives in that, conversation we were having about neutrality and space Um, and this foreground background shift between what's happening in the third dimensional plane and what's happening at um, more more like the fifth dimension. Could you say what each of those are? Yeah. Yeah. So 3d reality is the material plane. Objects matter time, you, me, we look real, we look separate, right? And then, then when you, we've all heard all these, you know, w- when you look, we're 99 point something percent, empty space, all that kind of stuff, right? So that, so that the, the, the way that this all looks very real and if you're playing the third dimensional game, it is real. You know, you cut me, I bleed, All of, it's real. And then there's another level at which really there's nothing here except space. And um, And in that realm lives potential, but not actual. In that realm lives nothing and everything all at the same time. So anyway, I mean, we could get into a whole conversation about 3D and f- fifth dimensional and the quantum field and all the rest of it, but that is my latest, that is, that is my, and not from an intellectual point of view of understanding there's an observer and an observed and uh, the physics of transformation and all that, but really like just hanging out there. That's, that's my latest fascination is well, hanging out well, there.
0: I, I want to acknowledge the importance of that. You know, I can imagine there's a way it might feel vulnerable to share it. And, um, you know, like a sense of, um, is it too far out there or, you know, this fifth time, but I, I think it's for me actually brings up a huge curiosity and it sounds incredibly important to me and and not dissimilar to some of my own explorations around my sense of identity. And these realms of experience that I can access in a very practical way, you know, in not in an intellectual way, but as a, as a direct experience and then their relationship to this 3d realm and, and, you know, really being a kind of astronaut or a, you know, an explorer in that endeavor. I think it's one of the leading edges of coaching or transformational work you know working beyond the purely physical realm that's where all my favorite coaches are playing so so yeah like actually i don't want to just rush away from that topic uh, i'm just curious what you're discovering there acknowledging that it you know it could be a tentative inquiry or not maybe mm-hmm. you've been going there for years
2: but Well, I have to say there's been for me the
1: the foreground background shift of of placing the empty space, the potential, the nothing and everything in the foreground and placing the forms the matter in the background has been really life altering for me. I don't know how, I don't know what it's doing for my clients because there is a way that I'm in the closet about it still. I I wouldn't say I'm in the closet about it exactly. I'm, I'm not explicit about it. I don't really live in the closet, but 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 I'm not I'm not having this conversation exactly with a client in this moment. Um, but for me personally, it's been incredibly life altering to take my attention. You know, Wendy Palmer, who I think you've interviewed too, she has this beautiful, really simple exercise. She's so elegant. I love Wendy. She's so elegant. And um, this really simple exercise that's really designed to have you take your attention off of the objects and put your attention on the space between the objects, the objects being humans in the, in the practice she's, she offers. But, but there's something amazing about opening to everything that connects everything as opposed to all the things. I don't know how else to say it. It just is, it, 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 it is an entirely different way of relating to life itself. And the, the, when, when all the objects are in the foreground, at least for me, my focus narrows my attention narrows and um, can even, I think the shadow side of that focus is a kind of myopia is, is a becomes so narrow. One can't see the horizon anymore. And, and I think we have a, a very distorted imbalance that we're living in where the objects are everything. We're just completely, we have a fixation on the objects and it's an inaccurate understanding of the matrix that we're in. So I think it for me has, has lifted my, my own sense of accuracy. Like just because it is not seen does not mean it is not real. Yeah. And if we can include all that is not seen in that which is real, we we create a very different relationship to ourselves and each other in life. Does that make any sense?
2: Yeah, it does. And um, my sense is that
0: that journey, you know, and of course, I want to make sure I am saying I'm, you know, talking about the things you're talking about it's easy with these subtle causal kind of dimensions to, um, yeah, to, to, to get that wrong. But there, there's a couple of things for me. Um, One is like, as, as, um, as I've expanded my sense of self and it's become highly subtle and even causal that that's refined my sensing capacity, you know, so there's a sense of being able to, um, attuned to what's emerging in the moment, maybe it maybe back down into this 3D realm, you know, through through thoughts. High, you know, thoughts are subtle experiences, and then you know, down into our embodiment. And then I think that's that's a beautiful kind of to attune to that process with a client is actually a, an exquisite thing. And then I'd say this, the second one is that what you talk about reminds me of the, there's something about when I'm not just focused on the 3D space, the objects, and I actually open into that, that, that 5D space, then I recognize that actually, um, it's like um, I, I see the stories that I've been telling. They're actually much more malleable and um, transformation, you know, transformable than I ever could have imagined. And that then they can, that again, that, that can come back and I can actually start to rearticulate these stories in a way that, that um, and bring me into, I think you use the word abundance That's a beautiful word. It it creates a sense of possibility and abundance, not in a kind of fluffy way, but in a way that's like very actionable and practical that brings in ethical leadership, sustainability. So I I hope that made sense somewhat, but it's like, you know, I think, yeah, perhaps we're talking now about some more advanced realms of coaching, but that are, I think, going to increasingly come into the coaching world.
1: I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of us who've been in the work for a long time are I mean, you could call this a more spiritual conversation. You 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 could you, you know, you could stay in the realm of physics about about this conversation too if you wanted to have a scientific orientation to it, but I think a lot of people would call the conversation we're having right now a little bit more esoteric or spiritual and i do think that i I mean i i think that's a natural developmental progression as we do our psychological work as we as we become healthier and more uh grounded humans our orientations expands naturally beyond the self You know, there's a Buddhist saying, you know, you have to have a self before you can dissolve the self. So the the work of one's, the developmental work of early adulthood is to erect a self, Mm. to become someone. And to achieve things and to have done something with one's life. And that, at least in the Western psyche, for sure, that that's the developmental arc. And then, of course, the midlife crisis is now what? So what? So I've become something. And I think the work, if we continue on an evolutionary path of the second half of life, is to become nobody. So let all that go. Everything we've erected um, dissolves back into the everything. And then there's a larger self to which we are connected, which is the whole living body of everything. And it becomes less about me and my accomplishments and more about, uh, it's interesting. You know, the jargon in our business is making a difference or contributing people. I've been much more drawn to the word participating with life. I don't know about making a difference anymore or contributing this or contributing that, but I'd like to participate in with life and in life. And that feels more true to this stage. Mm. I think a lot of our clients are still in self-making. That's what they want to coach for. But I also think if we travel the arc of adulthood with clients Many of them, as they reach midlife, will need to have this conversation. Okay, I did, all the, I did all that stuff. I became the astrophysicist or I founded that startup and I sold it. Okay, now what do I do? Who am I now? What am I? And you have to make that foreground background shift to start to address that question, I think.
0: I think this is like the place for me where some of my real passions like developmental psychology uh spirituality um there was another one as well <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgotten what it was but um <laughs> but it's like they 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 converge you know um and that I like that you use that word participating because um for me it speaks to the, the danger with um, making a difference is it's like a self-driven making a difference, which, <clears throat> okay, let me caveat that. That's actually ne- necessary or something, you know, it's not a bad thing, but for me in my own life, there's a sense of that. The, the, there's a, there's a making a difference, which is non-egoic, which is, is like surrendered in a way. And actually participation feels like the right word. It's like, I'm not on a, um, polarized, uh, you know, kind of mission. Um, what's the word I'm looking for The uh, you know, activist mission to change people in the world, but nevertheless, there is a kind of, um, there is a kind of participation, which does make a difference, you know, because there's this relaxation of that self and something comes through and, you know, um, so that, that's what comes up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's this great, um, there was a, he's passed on, his name is Ray Anderson, and he, he owned, uh, I think the world's largest carpet manufacturing company at the time. I'm not sure if it was the largest, but a huge manuf- carpet manufacturing company. And he, he gave this great Ted talk and, um, he was into sustainability before sustainability was sexy, you know, before, before all that. And, um, he made the declaration that he was going to make his business carbon neutral in some number of years that everybody thought was impossible. And that he wanted to stop polluting. And you know, somebody, somebody, he was speaking somewhere and somebody raises their hand in the audience and they're like, you know, Ray, why do you want to save the world? And he's like, he said this gorgeous thing. I just thought it was so gorgeous. He's like, I don't want to be arrogant enough to assume that the world Needs to be saved, or that I could save it. But while I'm here, I just decided I'd rather clean the river than pollute the river. And I thought that was just so perfect, really. I don't, and for me, I think making a difference has that, has that edge of like, I'm going to make a difference. Well, what needs to be different than it already is? Like there's something so, um, there is a kind of violence in making a difference and there is an egoic personalized agenda in making a difference. I don't know what difference needs to be made. How do I know what difference needs to be made? How And why does it need to be different from the way that it is? But if I participate with you, something will shift because that's just how life works. Something will happen. And like you said, that participation might make something different, might make a difference.
0: Yeah. I think this is another leading edge of coaching, like non-goal oriented coaching, like, um, you know like entering into this space with clients where there's where there's um you know it's really beyond being a coach that's coaching someone you know it's actually it's i don't know what the word would be for it being a guide or something that doesn't feel quite satisfying but yeah you know working in this way where there's a participation and that there's an organic unfolding in the other person you know that that's um just requisite you know just what was being asked for um
1: it's like we could coin a new phrase or something it's like a co-evolutionary thing like we're we're yeah i don't i don't know what it's called either i don't think it has a name yet
0: well i um i know it's the time and i'm like oh shit um uh, we were due to stop so maybe this is a good place to uh bring the conversation to a close and um I really enjoyed myself, you know, like I, I like, I really like this conversation because actually we didn't plan what we were going to say very much. And, um, you know, something came through and I really appreciate your generosity and um, spaciousness and, and care in, in this conversation. So thanks.
1: Yeah. Likewise. It's totally fun. I, 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 you know, I guess that's the other thing I'm fascinated by. I I know we're done, but uh, is this, is this just like show up and see what happens. Which is, I just think it's super fun. Like, okay, let's not plan anything. I, I, I do, I, I have this fantasy about running a workshop. I think I would do it with some guinea pigs first, just like inviting 10 people into a room with literally no prep, no title for the workshop, nothing. And just seeing what they bring to the room and what gets created.
0: I think that's, that's also something I, um, I know people who are experimenting in, 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 kind of in ways like this a bit, and uh, I think it's also something that's really required, you know, and I know you listen to Brebel Wisdom a little bit, and this idea of collective intelligence and coherence, I think it's something that's emerging, you know, that we're moving out of that era of like, okay, we've got this technique and a formula, and we want to get to this outcome. No, we need to enter into those emergent spaces with people um well i I, want to make sure you tell people where we can find out more about your work um you know the the website something like that if you want to you can mention it sure be very happy to let people know
2: yeah
1: thank you that's lovely uh sevenstonesleadership.com is our website And uh, I can personally be reached just at Jen at SevenStonesLeadership.com if somebody listens to this and wants to be in personal contact. Those are the two places to go.
0: Hello, it's Joel here again. Just a quick one to say, if you feel inspired about sharing this podcast, I'd be very grateful. You can do that by heading to the individual podcast page at CoachesRising.com forward slash podcast. When you're there, you'll see on that page, there's a share button. So uh, that's cool. And if you feel like leaving a review, that always helps us so that people can find us more. You can always find out more about what we do, Coaches Rising. We also run online training programs for coaches at coachesrising.com. Just have a look on our website and you'll find cool programs there. So be well and I will see you next time.